I'm Jonathan Platt, and you're listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast. Nobody makes it to the top alone. Now, you don't even have to try. Your journey to a life filled with purpose and leadership fueled by confidence begins right now. This week, my guest is Isaiah Odejima, Associate Professor of Ensembles and Director of The Golden Wave Band. In this conversation, we talk about success, struggles, and how to stick to the things you love. I hope you enjoy this, my conversation with Isaiah Odejima. Isaiah, how are you? I'm well. How are you? That's fantastic. I am doing great. Uh, Isaiah, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and uh, let our listeners know who's on the other side of their earbuds? So I am uh, the associate director of bands here and maybe more famously known as director of the um, athletic bands and director of the Golden Wave Band, the marching band here at Baylor. Um, So it means I oversee um, all of those pet bands and the marching band for all the athletic events. That's one of my main priorities. Um, But also, you know, I'm a professor and teach in the School of Music and involved, obviously, with our music majors from performance uh, to education, working mostly with our instrumental students. Um, And, yeah, I... Uh, teach classes like conducting and um, some methods courses and uh, you know obviously and I have a a concert ensemble that I do which is made up of primarily music majors so there's a lot I'm dealing with a lot of of stuff that I'm really excited about a lot of things that that are uh, um, very fulfilling in my job what's what's your favorite part of being director of the golden wave band huh the students. It's so easy to talk about that. Um, yeah. And I think everyone knows that uh, if you've been to Baylor and if you have any experience working with the students, that we have amazing students. Um, I feel uh, super blessed because I get to experience the, the the best of the best um, when it comes to the students that have come to our group. And, you know, statistically speaking, when you talk about the marching band, um, what you're talking about is a collection of students who are extremely high achieving, um, you know, uh, students who have music in their background. It's, you know, scientifically proven that those students are um, do very well academically, yeah. but also very well socially. Many of them are very adept at um, reading and understanding their environment and making adjustments to um, be effective in that environment. And while some people might not think like, uh, you know, band students, they may fit a particular stereotype. um, In actuality, that's... um, just one sort of lens or perspective that they might see on TV. What I'm, the students I work with, they're leaders in their community, whatever that is. You know, most of the students in the athletic bands and the marching band, you know, over 80% of them are non-music majors. So, you know, the students who might be presidents of 
science clubs or organizations for nursing or, you know, leaders of their biochem or leaders of their religious groups or, you know, engineering. I've got tons of engineering students. Those leaders just happen to be in the band. And uh, it's it's exciting for, for me to be able to work with them. I've, I've read some of the studies about... Um like uh, musicians and intelligence, you know, that, that connection between the two of those and how students who are in uh, like a hobby role with music do better in classes than students who aren't. But I've never read any of the studies about that transferring to like social skills. Why do you think that is? Why do you think somebody who plays a a, a musical instrument um, is, is maybe I shouldn't say more adept, but is, well adept at social uh, interactions. I wish I could tell you um, all the scientific data uh, behind it. So um, I'm not going to be able to um, give you all the sciencey specifics. What I know is that students who are involved in music, they build neural pathways that cross the, their brains wider. Yeah. And um, they're, um, they're essentially, uh, when you see neural pathways uh, from students who are um, who have a lot of musical background, and you compare it to a person who doesn't necessarily have that, you'll see a much more vast webbing of pathways across their brain, and you'll see um, uh, also I I forget what it's called, but yeah. it's um, you know it's like a these pathways are like, you know, like tubes, like highways. Yeah. And, um, uh, the things that you and I might do instinctively, they come from massive amounts of repetition and we don't have to think about it. Right. Like a muscle. Yeah. And, um, that comes from those sort of strands. And again, my, forgive me for not being able to, to speak more eloquently about it. But if you just imagine some of those strands might be, uh, you know, uh, just very, very thin, but things that happen very quickly, instinctively for you, those strands might be very thick because they just move faster through those pathways. To, and to keep your metaphor kind of like a one-way road versus like an eight-lane highway. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and we've seen that for students who have a lot of music. And so I think those are contributing factors. But I think maybe beyond the science of if you just think about it from a standpoint of um, what are students who are involved in music and specifically in organizations and ensembles, what mm-hmm. they're doing. And, and really that's what they're getting in their public school experience. You know, uh, there are obviously students who are taking maybe private lessons on guitar or, sure. uh, but when you're involved in things like band and orchestra and choir, and when you're involved in ensembles, now you're dealing with team and team environment is a social environment and they're not just practicing they're not just practicing music they're practicing skills related to listening and um adjusting and, and a constant interaction of um the person next to me is doing this i'm doing this to match i'm doing this to counter i'm doing this to make adjustments so that we can move together in a team environment and that skill alone the awareness that it takes a self-awareness to be aware of others brings a heightened sense of 
social adeptness. Yeah. There's no way around that Yeah, because you're always working in a team environment. And the thing that's maybe a little bit unusual for those team environments is that like, um, you know, music and ensembles, some of these students, they're coming from, they will, they'll have worked with those, um, peers since maybe mm-hmm. the sixth grade when they started together. Yeah. And those groups may lo- be as large as who knows. I mean, you're talking about the Allen high school band where they have over 800 kids in the marching band. And, uh, you know, imagine being the trumpet section leader of over, you know, a hundred kids like, and you have to learn your leadership skills on how to handle that group. And, you know, how do I manage as a high school student? How do I manage, yeah. you know, 50 students? You know, we've, right now this upcoming season, it looks like we have 50 trumpet players, which is a lot for our group, you yeah. know. Um, but, like, we only have eight leaders for that group of trumpets. They have to – it's a lot to manage, yeah. you know. Um, so I think in the aspects related to social adeptness, they're constantly uh, being challenged – because of the the requirement it takes to be interactive with them, mm-hmm. um, it just comes naturally to those students. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I, we could talk about the science uh, all day. And I, I wish I'm, I could talk about the science with more. Well, I was going to say I'm, I'm like you. I I am I am an amateur scientist, uh, <laughs> an, an amateur academic researcher. You know, I I right. can't always give you the the citation to my sources, sure. uh, but I can definitely come up with a good metaphor. <laughs> Yeah. So very cool. So, um, so Isaiah, you've been, uh, with the music school and the, uh, the, the various, uh, band groups that you're in charge of since about 2009. Is that what we said earlier? Yeah. And this is actually, you know, starting 2009 in my current position, I've been at Baylor four different times total. And, um, I think it's, it's always sort of strange to think about how Baylor came into my life um uh I Baylor wasn't ever on my radar. When I was an undergrad, I went to SFA, Stephen F. Austin State University, and I was yeah. a music major there. And um when I got done with my uh or as I was coming close to or coming to an end, yeah, and my time there, I was gonna be a band director. I was ready to go out into public schools and my goals at that time were I wanted to probably teach a, teach a little bit of middle school because and teach beginners and, and get that experience and then um and then go and teach high school and have a, a you know a kick butt high school marching band program you, where you we can could, say ass. It's okay. Uh, well um we were going to have a great time. And uh, so those are my aspirations. And I came from a great high school program um, when I was growing up at DeSoto High School back in the, you know, um, back at a certain time when it was uh, prominent. <laughs> um, and uh, so I wanted to make the same opportunities available for students and share those experiences and create those experiences for students. So I did that. But then um, I was also very interested in in the art of conducting and, you know, waving a stick around and leading mm-hmm. an ensemble, but in, in, in um, maybe ways that some people don't always think about with regard to band. Um, I, I was very interested in conducting, and I was also interested very much in – promoting uh the wind band medium in a very artistic way yeah um not just through what some people might envision as you know athletics or marches um so i had that 
desire as an undergrad. And then, you know, I got a call from the director of bands, uh, Michael Haithcock here, who had taught at Baylor for 21 years. Um, and he was here through the um, 70s or to the 90s and um, or 2000s. Actually, he was here for quite some time. He was here in the 70s as a, as a grad student. But, hmm. um, you know, he said, hey, I heard you're a great trumpet player and we need a good trumpet grad assistant and um, want you to come. And, and I said, uh, looks great. I'm, uh, I love playing trumpet, but my passion, if I want to get a degree, a, a master's degree, I'm really interested in conducting. And, and uh, he said, okay, um, well, you'll have to audition for both. And uh, uh, I remember back at that time, I was thinking, I'm not really interested in doing that. Yeah. Um, and I, I had an idea about going to University of Texas or some other place to do a master's degree in conducting. Um, after I taught public school, I wasn't going to go straight into my master's. But um, I decided, all right, let's 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 go check it out and see. So first I came to Baylor and I auditioned on trumpet. And they said, great. Uh, we want to give you an assistantship. And I said, great. I'm only interested if I can do conducting. So then two weeks later, I came back and did <laughs> an audition um, uh, in the conducting. And and they're like, yeah, we can do this. So they created sort of a hybrid role. And uh, that's cool. Did that. Um, and then we, I didn't have a chance to finish it. We had some family issues. Yeah. Um, uh, my mother and, and father were uh, divorced at that time, and my father was leading um, or sort of caring for the family, and he lost his job. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in manual labor, and a lot of issues happened uh, for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my I have a brother. His name's Sam, and he was in college. And then my younger – I have a younger sister. So younger brother, younger sister, her name's Michelle. She was in college. Going to A and M, and where was Sam? Say again. Where was Sam? He was at SFA. Okay, as cool. well. Um, and so, you know, we kind of had three kiddos in college, and my father lost his job, and he was having some trouble making things happen, and we needed a source of income, and um, it just, I felt like, you know. Actually, I really, honestly, there was it was a very troubling time in my life. It was really, really challenging. I had done a lot of things in preparation for graduating, and also I was trying to get married to my current wife. I'd saved a lot of money to buy a ring. Um, I came from very modest backgrounds, and um, um, at that time, I was. I had made a name for myself writing college marching band shows and halftime drills for other folks. I was writing, I was probably like the youngest person in America writing for University of Michigan and the University of Texas and SFA and a bunch of other places writing halftime shows during that time. And and so I was making some money doing that and yeah. I'd saved up all this money. And then it just sort of all seeped away because my family needed some help. And then it came and then I there were a lot of other things in play and I just felt like we needed, I needed to leave. How did, and how did, how did that feel to have to make that decision? It was really, really, it was very traumatic. Yeah. Uh, there was, I, I wasn't doing as well, um, in my classes, class load as I wanted to. And I mean, it wasn't terrible. I just wasn't doing as well as I wanted. And that was yeah. irritating. Then there was this other thing of all this, 
drill writing um, for colleges that was taking off and I was feeling the stress of that and yeah. that was challenging. Um, there was this um, – we were doing a long-distance relationship between me and my you know, uh, wife. Uh, Becky. Becky. Okay. Yeah, my sister. Your sister's Michelle. Michelle. I'm sorry. And 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 um, that was challenging. And um, you know, long, di- was long one distance. Semester. Long distance is in. You were in Waco, and she was in at Nacogdoches. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I was one semester really kind of shy of being done, and oh, wow. uh, with my masters, and I just really, and I just felt like I just need to finish this, but I'll never forget. Um, I was in just in turmoil about it, and uh, I was having a lot of pressure put on me, um, or I had a lot of pressure I put on myself, maybe. And I, I was yeah. starting to experience anxiety attacks that I never experienced before. I was experiencing some things that I never had dealt with, um, and I remember <laughs> where I left my apartment one day, and I was just. Um, was walking down I don't remember what the road is it's uh I lived oh gosh do you I remember loved, where the clay pot this. used to be yeah of course next to high th- uh, yeah. I-35 yeah there was an apartment complex close to that yeah and I was walking around there and I was I was just praying yeah I was in deep prayer um and almost just a desperate kind of praying and I'd been praying for quite some time. And what I, is, what do you qualify as desperate praying? <laughs> I love that term. Ah, I think everyone probably knows that. Yeah. That sense, this. I think you're right. Everyone does. Everybody understands that um, there's the, maybe your everyday prayer and there's the needy prayer of, and the hopeful prayers. And then I think maybe that, desperate praying where you're you feel like you you have your life might feel like it's coming it's it's falling apart you're un, unable you're not sure what to do you're i don't know there's a do you read do you read Anne lamont much no okay Anne lamont has a um she calls it the three prayers and the, the, the only three prayers that she says are like help thanks and wow mm. And so what kind of what you're describing is as if the help prayer was in the rearview mirror, like you're, 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 you're nowhere close to asking for help anymore. You're, you're asking for intervention. Uh, I think so. I mean, I was obviously asking for help. Sure. Sure. Of course. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a very, very challenging time. And, uh, you know, there was some some health issues as well. My father yeah. um, was diagnosed with cancer. It was just mm. a lot of stuff. A lot at once. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was before, before we, we started talking, you, you described yourself as generally a happy person. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've picked up on that just from the little time that we're together. Would you have dis- do you think your colleagues, your peers, um, students that you were working with in this period of time, would they have described you as a happy person? Like, were you putting on this, this air, were you putting on uh, a different set of wardrobe to go into public than you were in private, keeping that happiness out there? Meanwhile, in turmoil underneath, I think we all have to do that in a level of Mm self-protection. You know, it's, um, at that time 
I had too much on my plate and yeah. I was dealing with too much. And, but I, I don't think, could you have said that at that point in time or is that from looking backwards? No, I was realizing it, yeah. but I didn't know until it was too late Okay, until I was already knee deep in it. And that was, uh, it was coming on and I yeah. just didn't know, but I was putting on a, I was putting up, you know, my defense mechanism of, Oh, everything is fine. Yeah. Uh, but it, it clearly wasn't, Yeah, you know? So, so you're walking down the street to campus. Yeah. You're right behind, behind, you're right behind clay pot and that La Quinta <laughs> and we're common. Grounds. That's yeah. right. That's yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, so you're walking down there and let's, let's just imagine that like you now are walking behind that kid who is, you know, maybe half a block ahead of you and is praying in desperation what do you walk up to that kid? And like, what do you come beside that kid and say, what's that lesson that from, you know, 20 years down the road, you'd want that younger Isaiah to know? Well, I think back then, um, I was learning about a sense of self-awareness that I was on, on, that wasn't available to me at that time. Cause you're like, what at this point in time, you're like, what, 23, 24, something like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I just didn't, um, I didn't understand maybe the, the feelings I was having. And I just knew back then I had to be a certain version of myself and everything I did needed to be excellent. And you know, all the things that you put on yourself to be, you know, I was taking on all these responsibilities and act- activities, and I felt a great. Even like you know, I felt. Um, I my father's Japanese. It's my last name's Otojima, obviously. Um, and you know, one of the things, staple parts of um, being in a Japanese family is, is there's, there's a great sense of hierarchy and responsibility. And the firstborn is. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times my father had this discussion to me about the responsibilities of being a firstborn. And he wasn't trying to uh, create pressure. He wanted me to understand that, um, you know, when his time was done, that it would be my turn to take over. And it, and then, you know, also as being the older brother, that, you know, you there were things that I needed to do. And I, I, I tried to embrace those, but also there was a certain aspect of, like, not understanding that not everything's within my reach not everything's within my power that um your desire to control the environment um is is maybe your greatest undoing you know and i'm obviously a type a personality yeah i was gonna ask Um, do you know your enneagram oh gosh (laughs) it's a sore subject it's so funny (laughs) it's so funny because um i was looking this up the other day i did it we I did it twice, and I did like the full blown like yeah. pay for the money yeah, yeah. enneagram thing. So people always say, "Well, you're an eight. They always say, like you're an eight, whatever that okay. is. I think it. I don't know what that is, but I was. I am. Um, I believe I am a three. I guess. Okay. Yeah. It's a three, but my wings. Yeah. So I'm really. Uh, spread out evenly. So I have like a three and it was like, I don't know, uh, 30 something percent. And then I have a two wing, yeah. which is like yeah. 27% yeah. and a one, yeah. which is like 24%. Yeah. And then, of, and then 
a four. I mean, I'm like kind of all spread out. Those, those, but. that one, two, and three, you and I are the inverse. If you're high on a three, if you're the highest on a three, I'm the highest on a one mm. and then mid two and then lower three. So I, I'm that, I'm, I'm the tails to oh. your head. Yeah. In this or, or whichever way you want to say it. But yeah. So I can kind of being in that same space. I'm a, I'm a one um, I think I'm a recovering people pleaser. So I'm, I'm also, uh, a wing two definitely. Yeah. Um, and that one in me loves a good solid performance, you know, yeah. loves a good, like, you know, a hundred is it's, it's acceptable. You yeah. know, you're, you're looking for that hundred and, yeah. and one minimum. Um, I can, I can imagine myself walking down that street and, it probably felt like, and this is a weird metaphor, but it probably felt like you were wearing a wet fur coat. Probably so. I mean, I I, I think that's probably right. I I, I it's just I, it's it was just that incredible weight amount and uncomfortableness. Of weight. It yeah. was uncomfortable for sure. It was very. It was um, a blinding anxiousness. Yeah. Um, it was mm. it was mind numbing. Yeah, mind numbing anxiousness, and that was it was very very challenging. But uh, so back so to you're your so you're, about, so you're walking up to you're walking up to to this yeah. this twenty three twenty four year old. Yeah, what, I think. What do you want to tell him? You know, I think it's take a gut check and understand what's in your control. Yeah, and what's out of your control, and I think that was at the beginning uh, of realization of that. Um, although at the time I didn't know what panic attacks were, even yeah. I didn't understand it. I just knew I was experiencing crazy body sensations yeah. and inability to focus and all kinds of stuff and deep yeah. issues of anxiety. But, and then, uh, more trust in the Lord, you know, that's really what it boiled down to back then. I'm, I mean, um, I think back then I just felt like I had to take care of all these things when in fact I just had really little I took ownership for things that didn't belong to me. Yeah. You know, and yeah, uh, I would tell that and then, and slow down, mm. slow down. You know, I was in such a rush to be the very best. Mm. I was in such a rush to fix my problems. Yeah. Like my problems, I felt like I owned my problems. Like I knew where my faults were and I knew what issues I had which I didn't. So that's a great sense of, it's funny now it's, you know, <laughs> how uh, the uh, incredible amount of arrogance to think back then that I thought I knew what I needed to know. And yeah. obviously, you know, only time tells and, and lets you know that. But um, I just felt like I knew what my issues were and I needed to fix it. And I was, um, I was just off target, yeah. you know. But before, before we started, before we hit record, you and I were talking about, um, some of the colleagues that you've been able to go to um, over the years and, and also right now in your, in your current um, role and relationships, did you have someone like that back at that period of time? Did you have somebody that you were able to be very vulnerable and, and like honest with in a professional side? I'm sure, I'm sure Becky played that role um, both then and now. Yeah. Um, but it's a little different to have like that professional colleague. Well, back then as a grad student, maybe not as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I did, actually. There was a couple of people who I – but I don't think back then I knew how to do it. Yeah. 
you know, I did have some folks um, who were good friends, but I don't remember us. I don't remember me ever. Um, leaning on anyone, I felt like uh, maybe yeah. I think I th- I think I thought I was a weakness, and I mm. and I think even with my back then, you know, girlfriend. Um, I'm not so sure. I mean, she heard me whine about stuff. Yeah. And she heard, I've, yeah, she definitely, but she was far away. Yeah. You know, um, she, you know, I definitely would sing my woes to her, but I just didn't, that was it really. I didn't have anyone else to talk to and nobody close. Yeah. And I don't think anybody here at, at that time, you know, but that, I, I'm sure there were people. I just didn't know how. Yeah. You know? And and now now you have those yeah. those people, yeah. And it's yeah, it's 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 amazing. We have uh, I have a lot of that. It, it, I mean, the colleagues I work with, um, in the school of music, it's it's one of the most healthy environments mm. um, out there in any school of music. And then my long term friend and colleague and um. The director of bands, Eric Eric Wilson, he's he's a great um, person that I can sit down and you know talk about things uh, that are challenging for me to deal with, um, concerns, issues, things that might be um, uh, obviously challenges related to our jobs and cha- everyday life. Sometimes I don't f- want. To, to say to him because he's also sort of my boss yeah and i don't and then there's other people though i mean i've um talked to folks there's uh, lots of colleagues here yeah that I, I have good relationships with where yeah. we can we can um sit down and be vulnerable with each other and yeah and 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 feel comfortable and that's been an important part of what i do yeah I, but even even to a certain extent to be able to share my Experiences. One of the things that I think I've learned along the way that I th- I think my students value is I'm one of the lessons I've learned is um, you know don't be afraid to be vulnerable and um, the students that are coming up now um, they're knee deep in that whole thing of anxiety and depression yeah. and um, all that and I think one of the th- reasons why I'm here. One of the things that I think um, why God has placed me into this in this specific place is to, so that I can continuously share m- my stories and to let them know. And I think I'm um, I try to be open and vulnerable with them about things that are um, challenging in my life and things that have been challenging yeah. and how I deal with them. I try to pass that on just so that they understand like, oh, you know, or even my professor and a leader of an organization still is dealing with those things as well. And it's been really wonderful to do that within our community because I have students who are just absolutely amazing. I might not have a great day or I might be wearing a little bit more of the pressure than I want to want to wear when I get outside and work with my students. I try to be very positive, but sometimes, you know, the things might be weighing me down and yeah, I have some unbelievable students who are just so perceptive and will come up to me after a rehearsal and say, Hey, Dr. O, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm great. And they're like, 
felt like you might have had a little bit of um, mm. something heavy on your heart, you know. And uh, like, well, actually, you know, these things and you know, we might pray together and it just it's um, it's just been a, a real blessing to be involved with those students, being able to provide them with moments of vulnerability of, of sharing my stories, um, dealing with, I've dealt with depression as well. Um, I've had history of, you know, anxiety stuff of, of going down dark paths, um, and helping, you know, a lot of students, uh, deal with that. I, it's, I don't, one of the most important things I, I have done um, is I, I know that God has placed students in at my doorstep at my office who wouldn't go to anywhere else anyone else and um, I've counseled and been a mentor and been um, a person of trust for it seems like every year. There's someone who I wasn't expecting who was just in turmoil and just in great agony and who needed – and they start talking and I can tell immediately, oh, they need to hear this – my past story of this moment. Yeah. You know, it's like I know immediately that was not by accident. Yeah. It happened and they needed it right then and there, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's been an unusual, I wasn't expecting that to be here. I wasn't, I, what I expected was to be, you know, a, a music person. Yeah. Band yeah. Person. Yeah. And I, I still do that, but the majority of what I do now is create, um, meaningful, lasting, um, relationships with, with students, create, um, intentional, um, moments of um, togetherness and intentional moments of uh, guided fellowship. Yeah, through music. Yeah, that's what I do. I've I've heard um, a uh, a professor that I was really close with say, um, "I'm paid to teach you know this this topic this subject. Um, my job is to help students that that just happens to be their major." Yeah, that it's a total. It's 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 two totally separate things. That you know, I'm paid to stand and lecture. I'm paid to you know assign grades. I'm paid to write a paper um, and publish. Uh, but my real job is in the relationships with with students. Oh, for sure. Well, uh, I I'm going to steal that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. that's that's absolutely the case for me. I, another another thing that I've heard said, uh, not by professor, this was from, uh, my old East Texas, uh, church was that everyone needs a Paul, someone who's a mentor, you know, ahead of you. Everyone needs uh, a Silas, someone who is beside you and everyone needs a Timothy. And it sounds like that you're really well balanced in that, in this current role, that your, your, your boss is someone that you're very close with and you have a great relationship with. You've, you know, spoken about some of your colleagues that you have, and then you also have this great relationship with students. How do you think you got to that point? And if you're someone who, like if I'm listening to this and I'm not someone who has 
that balance? What is something that I could start doing to try to find that? Gosh, I don't want to speak on this uh, as if I'm an expert. All I can tell you is maybe where I'm coming from and what I I strive for. And, I, and, and you're uh, you're so, an expert from your experience. Yeah, so. maybe so. I I don't know. I um, you. I think again the importance of of taking time to be self aware and and really taking time to um, stop and think and assess. And being kind to yourself about about that, um, it's very easy for I think folks, and I'm I'm constantly in that battle right now. Of I have a million things to do, mm-hmm. and uh, from large projects to the tiniest ones, and uh, um, I'm just guilty of this. Yesterday, we were just having a, a meeting with the staff, and I said, okay. Uh, I, need, I need for us to meet today. This is at nine o'clock in the morning. So I need for us to meet today. Uh, but give me um, 30 minutes because I need to go into my office and look at all of our um, projects and our to do's. I need to reprioritize. I need a moment to just mm-hmm. assess everything. Yeah. And then the phone rang yeah. and then an email popped up that needed some adjustment and this and that. And then the next thing you know, it was, um, you know, 1030 and I yeah. had a meeting and they're like, are you ready to meet? I'm like, I'm so sorry. And, um, it's, that's one of a million opportunities and days where, um, you really do have to force yourself to, to close down, shut off, um, the external, um, distractions, distractions yeah. that yeah. are coming about and you have to just say, okay, let me just kind of get a feel for what's really going on here. And so creating those moments of self-awareness as much as possible, whether that's moments of just quiet time, uh, maybe that's your, um, through meditation or, or just quiet assessment time, whatever it, whatever it is for you, you know, I think it's important to do. And, um, and then, because and then having a gauge of maybe a, when I say self awareness is not just a what I need what do I need to handle what do I need to take care of but and then being kind to yourself but also the okay this is I have a feeling it, mm-hmm. I feel like I got mm-hmm. pressure I feel like I have a, a weight mm-hmm. where is that coming from and where is that in my control is that out of my control what what can I do to make those things you know. Uh, uh, better in my life is a, I think, you know, the normal things I think anybody would, would take care of. So self-awareness. And then I'm pretty intentional, um, about right now. Um, and this has helped, but, um, I, I work to communicate with my friends and I've been really intentional about that. Um, in the last, what do you mean by communicate? Six months. Um, you know, I have a a friend who lives in Dallas who's a, um, a a great human, and I just get along with him so beautifully. And it's easy for um, us to. I just lost touch with him for yeah. a while, and you know, and he doesn't hold any grudges, and neither do I. You know, we just lost touch yeah. about it, but like. Um, now I make certain, like almost on a weekly basis, if it's possible, we're we're texting, even if it's nothing, yeah. even if it's yeah. um, 
<laughs> a, a, a silly meme or yeah, something yeah. that keeps us. But like I, I'm mindful of there's seven friends that I have that like I'm intentionally communicating with um, at least you know once every two weeks. It, I've, I've uh, got to ask this question: Is seven? intentional no okay all right cool i just, just i didn't wonder if that was the secret sauce like, no that's okay. not a secret okay. sauce okay. it's just cool. the seven I'm sorry. people that i do and and you know the part of it was i i there was a time where i was like well i have my one good friend i think everybody has their one good friend yeah and they're delightful and yeah. but um it's a little bit unfair sometimes um if you're dumping all your stuff your grief on that person or even all your joy on that person. It's great. But like, um, they get busy. Yeah. They have their lives too. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I, I had a couple of people like that and I started feeling a little bit of resentment, Hmm. uh, towards like, why are they not communicating Hmm. back with me? And it's like, duh, because you know, (laughs) they have lives and children and, and maybe you're not, maybe they, don't want you to be their sole focus right yeah. now. Yeah. And um and as I get older, um it's just important for me to have um to feel like I have a group of people who I I might be able to talk with and if there's issues, but also just to feel connected. I think the the human aspect of that. It's funny because somebody asked me about that and they they found it to be ironic, you know, I I deal with the largest student organization on campus. Yeah. You know, um, and I deal with them, you know, constantly and I'm around hundreds of students all the time. And, and, and I admitted that uh, there are many times where I feel quite lonely, even mm-hmm. though I'm, I, I have impact on so many different levels to a number of students, you know, and, uh, they thought that they thought that was funny, but I mean, there's a, it's even, that can feel even more, isolated when you feel like you're giving to a bunch and there's nothing coming there's no you know personal connection i mean you're you're trying to be as personal as you can from four to six on monday wednesday friday but you're also trying to teach you're trying to have a curriculum yeah you know and so yeah i've been really intentional about making sure that i have a group of students or excuse me a group of of friends friends yeah who uh, I stay in communication with, and I'm in, and, and when I say intentional, I just, that's that's something that if I don't do it, uh, they'll drop off the radar, and um, and you know I want them to feel like I care about them, even if it's because uh, I want them to know that they're important in my lives, in my life, not because I need them per se. I don't want it to be like, oh, I'm just going to keep texting them because I, w- I need their support later. I, I genuinely care about them. And yeah. the way you do that is you know, yeah. just reach out and say, hey. I'm, I'm sure you can tell it by my face, but like this is my jazz. Like this is this this is just coincidentally or, you know, by divine um, happenstance. I'm I'm doing a lot of research in this area right now for a fun project that we're working on for the fall. Um and the book that I'm reading right now is called Sacred Rest, um, and it's by Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Uh, she breaks rest not just into have you slept enough, you know, do you need a nap, do you need a cup of, co- cup of coffee kind of thing, but she breaks it down into seven areas, uh, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, and sensory. 
and you talking about that. I'm around a ton of people, but I feel so alone, you know, like that is like a, a, what she qualifies as like a drained social rest, um, uh, uh, tank, yeah. you know, kind of like we talk about like love language. My, you know, my love tank is, is lo- this is, she's talking about your rest tanks basically. Mm. And so you talking about that, that was just, it was just right in line with what I'm obsessed with right now. So it was, it was oh, very that's cool. Crazy. Yeah. So speaking, speaking of, um, of books, do you want to do some rapid fire questions? I don't like rapid fire, John. Okay. <laughs> but that's okay. I will do my best. Okay. Okay. We'll, um, we'll take some advice from you to your younger self and we can go slow. So we can go some, some slow fire questions <laughs> instead of rapid fire. That's so, fine while we're on the topic of, of books or your reader, do you like to read just like in the evenings and stuff? Yeah, I don't, uh, <laughs> you uh, like to, you don't always like get to, to it. Yeah. I like to read. Um, and, um, when, I, when, and I go through seasons where I'm, yeah. I, I go through it and then times I can't. Yeah. Um, but are you going to ask me what I'm reading right now? Well, I don't have to. Instead, but, no, what I could okay. say is like, what are, what are, what, what are like two books, the next two books that I should pick up? Oh, well, the next two books that you should pick up are the two books we're reading right now. Yeah. It's funny because we're, as part of our, every year for um, our leadership team, we, we require reading of the students before we prep them. They have to, we have to train them as leaders. Yeah. Um, coming out of COVID and coming out of a time where we, we modified so much of what we did. And one of the most challenging parts was, um, creating that feeling of family uh, mm-hmm. when you had to be socially distant even outside. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we had students who only went to one game because that's all that was allowed. Um, it was very, very challenging. And it yeah. worked at the very – it worked against the very thing that we strive to do in marching band. Besides being rabid fans of Baylor and supporters of Baylor and doing what we do, which is creating energy at the highest level. Um, yeah. well, it's also about family and about gathering. And so, I mean, that's literally um, what we do. So I, I know exactly how you yeah. feel. We're just now having people in this brand new space. Right. And it, it has been not just the lack of bodies in here, but like you said, the lack of energy, the lack of family. Right. So the two books that we're reading right now in preparation, uh, one's by Priya Parker. It's called Art of Gathering. It's been on my list for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And that is about, again, intentional um, gatherings. And so, you know, if you say one of the things that we're going to we're working on with our leadership for this season is, okay, we always have a section unity night where they get together at the beginning of the season and, you know, they'll get together and talk about their traditions and what means, what it means to be in that section and historical elements of what that means. Yeah. But also, all right, what, what's, that's great. What are your other, what are the other things that you're trying to intentionally do? So at the beginning, we're going to be focused on, uh, breaking down barriers and making everyone feel comfortable and making everyone feel as um, letting them know that we value them and their particular strengths, whatever they are. We're going to find their strengths, whatever those strengths are. Uh, we don't worry about the other stuff. We just we just know, like, you know, some people are this and some people are that, and we want to praise their strengths yeah. um, and lift them up. And, and that's what the first section of first meeting will be. And then mid-semester, we'll have another – 
required meeting for those sections. It's like, okay, now this, this one's going to be about, okay, we're all dealing with a lot of stress and um, let's take some time to debrief. Let's hear each other. Let's talk. Yeah. Let's understand what's happening. Yeah. Um, let's share our stories and um, have some real, so essentially the Parker book is uh, about building intentionality about yeah. not just getting together and hanging out, but um, devising ways in which you can be intentional. And that's important for us because we want to build that back into what we're doing, especially after COVID. And then the other book is similar. It's by Charles Vogel. It's called The Art of Community. Yeah. And um, both of those are, are fantastic um, books. But I think right now uh, for any group that's coming out of COVID mm-hmm. that has that has levels of social elements that are important to what they're doing. And I think everybody should be doing this. I mean, every business should be focused on, okay, we went into isolation and we learned a lot and we, we knew, we, we understood how important it was for, to be together with each other. But um, let's reexamine again what, what it means to be together and mm-hmm. um, why is it so important? Uh, what does it actually involve? Yeah. You know? And um, can we be mindful of that? And can we rejuvenate that? Just Don't just say we just need to get back together again. Let's just figure out what is, what's most important to us. And so everything this year is built on community. I. I have an audible credit that is like burning a hole in my pocket. I may have to get art of gathering for, um, when I drive to Austin later today. Yeah. It's, it's really strong. That'd be fantastic. So, okay. So, um, while we're on kind of like entertainment medias, uh, are y'all watching a show right now? Are y'all like really into a certain show or anything? <laughs> Re- maybe rewatching Big Bang, you know, or something That's like so that. That's so funny. We're, we're going to take a trip this year. Uh, we was, it was slated for last year, but we didn't yeah. do it because of COVID. We're driving to Montana to stay right outside of Yellowstone. Very cool. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we're just going to lug everybody in the car and make a massive trip. And So are you watching Yellowstone? Is that my where this wife, is headed? Okay. My wife watches Yellowstone. My parents are into it. And, uh, like, every time I talk to my mom, she's like, okay, this is what happened. Yeah. You need to watch it. Okay. So very – apparently it's very soap opera-y. Um, well, I, I loved Dallas. Like, yeah. And my mom says that I'd, I'd love this even more. Yeah, you would. For sure, Very I've cool. watched certain things, um, yeah. certain episodes. I don't, I don't watch it as religiously as my wife. Yeah. Um, in in our household, um, I think we like to think that we're amateur foodies. We we've spent <laughs> a lot of time thinking about food, talking about food, yeah. going to places and learning about places. We've been to food festivals and taken. You know, even classes. So yeah. um, things like Top Chef, the mm, show by mm-hmm. Fran Bravo, we watch that kind of stuff. Um, for me at home, I um, personally, my obsession is um, soccer. I coached hmm. um, soccer and select soccer. And cool. my daughter plays um, in select soccer league in Dallas. Um, and so um, I spent a lot of time watching European soccer and not so much MLS uh, these days, but yeah, that and then um, food stuff. Really, I could I I and seriously have done this recently. I could just take an entire Saturday and w- just watch Good Eats episodes. Oh, that's like, so that's, fun! Alden Brown is like oh, my hero. I yeah. love it. I love how he brings 
uh, science. Yeah, and yeah. He's the Bill you, Nye of food. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it just exactly. helps you understand. Well, this is why yeah. this tastes this way. Why these things work together. And it's like, oh, cool. I yeah. probably won't remember that, but no. I, it was super cool to know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so cool. Um, well, then that's that's kind of like my my last question. It's a little controversial. Okay. Um, do you like Mexican food? Of course. What's okay. controversial about that? No, no. This is the one. Oh no, the best Mexican food restaurant in Waco. I, I don't know the answer. I think you have to decide mm-hmm. what um, what your style of Mexican food is because, you know, what we have of Mexican food is not – it's Tex-Mex. Yeah. It's Americanized yeah. version. Yeah. Do you – you know, what – so I have a – I have a test yeah. of how I judge sort of Tex-Mex and Mexican restaurants and what I do. So we we do a um, – every place I go, I always start – we you know, order the same thing. I always – I got to taste the refried beans. I got to taste their Spanish rice and then I, their chips and salsa and, and then uh, their fajita beef. Yeah. That's just sort of the stock stuff. Yeah. Um, there's other things in there like the 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 pico and other and you know their guac and yeah. stuff like that um but i kind of feel like if you can if they know how to season their fajita beef well yeah and they know how to do the beans and the rice uh, then you're gonna. Then that will be good. Yeah. I can't say what's the best. Okay, then let me put um, it this way: uh, If we were about to go to lunch, and I was like Isaiah, name three Mexican food places. Like, what what are some of those that rise to the very top? Your favorites? Yeah, I mean, it just depends. It's just yeah. not fair. So, what what are you looking for? That's what I say. Do you want tacos? Because there's several mm, places yeah. here in town where you want sort of authentic street type sta- tacos. Maybe yeah. you want to go. Maybe you're a taco Z kind of a guy. Yeah. You know, um, but I think honestly, I, um, I, I still think Ninfa's is, is very, very solid. Mm. I, I, um, I think they're fairly consistent and they have great food. Yeah. Um, we like Don Carlos a lot, and that's I like think, true Tex-Mex. I that's think, not Mexican food. That right. Is, yeah. It's exactly it. Now we're yeah. – both of those are Tex-Mex. Yeah. yeah. That's not authentic. So where, so where, where are we going to go if we were going to have like like authentic sit-down Mexican food? Yeah, I, they're um, – I'm going to refrain from saying the answer mm. on this. I don't see want, controversial. I know it is controversial. I don't want people to. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I exactly. Judge, I judge exactly. people. Yeah. I judge people on this response, and so I <laughs> like authentic Mexican food. There's, there's only, in my opinion, there's only two places in Me- in, uh. in in Waco where you could go. And yeah. if I leave off mm-hmm. the two other places, that people will say, well, they will disagree, and I will yeah. be. Um, I, I don't want to say it, but okay. I, I think there's some great places. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm sorry. I evaded the no, question. No, I love it. I love it. I evaded it. Maybe because, I'll get you off the record on it. Well, I, I evaded it because I know some of those people who are restaurant owners. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I just the fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, absolutely. I don't want to get myself into trouble. I know it. I know it. I love it when you get to a place with a restaurant where you're, where you're getting to know like the, the people that are there and the people that own it and stuff Ask like that. Ask me what I think is my – I'll tell you what I think is my favorite barbecue. Okay. What's okay. your favorite yeah. barbecue? Okay. So for What's me, I'm, I'm a little partial to it because um, I've been with it since the very beginning. I, I, I love Jasper's. It's great. Guess barbecue is, is my place that I would go if we were going to go have barbecue right now. And it's because it was a block and a half from my apartment when it started. Um, and actually that's not true. 
it was uh, it was out there off the circle uh-huh. and uh, at the place that I worked then we would go have Friday lunch there and then that's when it moved a block and a half from my apartment and I I went down there way too often sure um, when it moved to like it's more like in permanent location Mm -hmm, um in between that moving to downtown as a food truck and moving to that a uh a a former colleague of mine invested in the business and became a partner in it so um uh so you know it's it's a it's a personal investment but it's also a um uh you know i gotta i gotta stick with the people that you know i was there from the beginning with what about you and yeah. the food is outstanding. It's fantastic. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't be that way about it if the product wasn't fantastic. Yeah, I wouldn't, and you know, I wouldn't be this vocal about it if it was a restaurant. I, you know, I won't name any names, but it it, it might rhyme with like duties. You yeah, know? right. I I don't think that you can get that personally invested in in something. Yeah, more although like that. that that food, it, there's a great sense of consistency there. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 very good. Yeah, it's great. I I too love um, gas. Yeah, I love. Um, I don't know the people as well there. I just enjoy the food. And I think, you know, they, people will, well, I judge uh, barbecue based off the brisket. I think you're, you're judge, go ahead, go judge guests by the brisket because I think you'll find it to be outstanding. But what I love about gas um, is consistency of all the rest of its stuff. Okay, we, we're gonna we're gonna have to have a whole other conversation about this because the next issue, I guess I'm gonna give it away. We usually don't do this, but the fall issue is a Waco food issue of the magazine, mm. and so we're setting it up for like, you know, not certainly not like showdowns of like you know Helberg versus Guess Duke to the death kind of thing. Sure. But, but we want to you know we want to highlight some of those like a Jasper, something that's been here for a really long time, and a Guess, something that people who haven't been to Waco in ten years probably wouldn't know about. You right. know that same thing with like doing uh uh key talks you yeah. know and and then also blending it with the the asian food truck movement sure. you know that's going on right now and and yeah so it's it's going to be super good and what i'm hoping uh i can convince some of the restaurant owners to do is like a um a full tasting that'd be great yeah absolutely well i i think though you would have a great time on our Summer staff, we used to do this thing every summer where we would decide, we would do Friday lunch. Mm, It was, mm -hmm. um, we're going to test. So we did a, for entire summer, like hamburgers. Mm, Yeah. There's a lot of hamburger joints in in Waco people don't know about, you know. It's like, all right, you have to order the exact same hamburger if it's available at that place. And you're going to do a taste test and we're going to. We're going to, at the end of the summer, we're going to come up with our top five and the reasons why, I like you know, this. and then we did the same thing for, you know, a lot of other stuff, you know, every summer it would be that way. We've, we've quit s- since then, but we we used to do that a lot. So you ought to bring it back. I could use you as a test, like a, a, a test study. <laughs> we yeah. should. Yeah. We should. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Cool. cool. All right. Isaiah, this has been a fantastically wonderful conversation. Well, I've certainly you. enjoyed it. I've, I've enjoyed it very much too. Thanks so much. Yeah. I'm Jonathan Platt, and you've been listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast, brought to you by Baylor Line Foundation. You can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you haven't, hop on over to wherever you're listening to this and follow, leave a rating, and a review. It really does help. Join me next week for another Direct Line Conversation. Thanks for listening.